One, two, three, empezamos! Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, joined today by my co-host. This is Marta Leticia from Boston Red Cloaks. Today we are keeping up with our series, connecting with people and sharing their stories and experiences on abortion. It's January 27th, 2022. We're really excited now to welcome our special guest. Hi, Margaret. Hi. How you doing? Hi, Margaret. How are you? Nice to see you on what is here a very cold day before a huge winter storm. Exactly. It feels kind of like a metaphor for the huge cold storm that will come ahead if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Yes, absolutely. If you can let us know just a little bit about, you know, how you've become involved in Massachusetts in working on reproductive access issues. I have been interested in reproductive rights for women ever since I had an abortion. I think that was really the piece that made me interested. And when I came to the Boston area, actually, I should say, just in the last probably four years, um, I really got involved. And um, mostly working on the Roe Act, and um, legislation seems to be the best way for me to make a change. I lived on Martha's Vineyard uh, before I came back to Boston. And um, we had a, a serious issue with uh, really poor access to abortion. People had to go off the island. There was nobody providing abortions. And I think that was the thing that really got me started and then working on the Roe Act. So that's how I got involved um, sort of publicly about working on abortion issues. So nobody on the island provided services. No, nobody did. And there's they, a hospital there, right? So you would think somebody would. A hospital and actually I attended a meeting where the head of the uh, the head of medicine was a gynecology doc. And the topic came up about why doesn't the hospital provide abortion? The um, meeting was all around women's health on the island. And the head of uh, medicine, the gynecologist, he just had a real attitude. He said, well, we thought about having abortions at the hospital, but nobody was really interested. None of the doctors wanted to do it. And we really never had any patients asking us. And, you know, I was sitting in my seat just ready to jump up, but I didn't. It just wasn't appropriate for me to react at that point, but it, it made me think I got to start working on this. And when the Roe Act was really being sort of, you know, brought around and we were having meetings about it, our our state rep, Dylan Fernandez, came and uh, led a meeting. And uh, myself and another, Kathy, she's an indivisible person. I am too. We both are an indivisible. Um, we were able to fill the biggest auditorium on the island. We just really worked, 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 worked. And then, you know, ha I had a, a house party, a Zoom house party, and we had other people come and speak. and. I don't think there's really been any change on the island, but I can see medical abortion being the key uh, for giving access 
um, especially you know using virtual uh, healthcare. We know there's huge uh, abortion deserts where people are prevented from accessing care. Yeah. Right. If you're not familiar with Martha's Vineyard, it is an island. The ferry ride is about 40, 45 minutes from the mainland of Massachusetts. Certainly nothing like people are encountering in Texas. And, um, you know, it depends on the weather, if the ferry's going, and then you have to go another 100 miles to get to an abortion clinic, and it takes all day. Some people in Massachusetts, if you live near Boston, you just might not realize that there is that hurdle, right? In what's supposed to be a very blue state. Yes, exactly. It sounds like your personal experience set off some decisions about how you would get involved. Would you like to hear my abortion experience? We would. I had an abortion in 1973 when I was 24 years old. I was living in Marquette, Michigan, which, you know, when I think about it, it was a lot like being on Martha's Vineyard because it's almost like an island. It's in the Upper Peninsula. It was a university town. Um, I was, I had a couple friends up there. And so I moved up. It was a fun place to live. People who like the outdoors. Um, And I was young and carefree. I was a nurse. I had graduated um, from a nursing program a couple of years earlier and met this guy who we had, you know, we sort of had a fast romance. Well, we were probably together about four months. And um, he left because he was going to Colorado to um, mountain climb. And right after he left, I found that I was pregnant. And he was the only person I had had sex with. And, you know, I, I, at the point, at the time I thought, what was I thinking, you know, because I wasn't using birth control and um, I got pregnant and um, I tried to get in touch with him. I called his mom. I never met her, but I had his home phone number and, and she said, oh, you know, we can't get a hold of him. He's out somewhere in the wilderness. So I said, okay, fine. And, you know, I remember feeling really kind of all alone and afraid. That's the only way I would describe it. But the other part of my brain kept saying, you have to do something. You have to act on this. So I was able to get in touch with a a, a pregnancy, sort of pregnancy counseling place in Marquette where I lived, and they told me that there's a um, a OBGYN in town who would, you know, fill out some paperwork and help you if you want to get an abortion, he could help you do that. And that meant getting on a plane and going to New York City. So, you know, it was 1973 and everybody thinks, oh, Roe v. Wade was passed, but it hadn't started in Michigan at that point. And so that was my only option. I felt really fortunate to have this OB doctor to go to, but I also, in a way I felt like, why does this have to feel so special to find a doctor to get some help? But, you know, and being a nurse, I was part of the medical system and and kind of understood a lot of what was going on, but I just felt caught. A little, little angry about the whole situation. 
But the other good thing about being a nurse was I actually had enough money to do this because not anybody could just do this. You know, you think about people who don't have the funds or they don't have the, the uh, flexibility maybe in their work schedule to be able to go away for a day or two. So that's what I ended up doing. I, I had to uh, make arrangements with work, you know, with my schedule, which wasn't too hard to do. And then um, get a flight down to Detroit. And then I had to get a flight to New York, but I had to stay in a hotel and wake up in the morning at the airport and then fly to New York. When I got to New York, they, I had gotten instructions that, to go to a certain place in the airport and look for certain people with signs. And I did that. It was easy to do. Airports were different then. Anyway, I, uh, I got on a bus with a group of women. We filled the bus. And I thought, oh my gosh, look at all these women coming for abortions. I'm not alone. <laughs> at the time, the first time I didn't feel as alone. So, you know, that whole trip cost me, the abortion, I think it was about $400. And the whole trip cost me about $1,000. When we got to the clinic, I don't know where we were. I, I, we were somewhere in Manhattan, I think, you know, busy New York area. And um, they had, the clinic was, I would say, extremely well run. Uh, they really tried to give you the whole spectrum of care um, in a very short time. So we started out in a room together with a little bit of um, information about how the procedure was going to go, what it was gonna be like. And then we broke off with individual counselors who talked to us about, you know, how we had made the decision and how we were feeling about it at that point. You know, make sure we wanted to go ahead. I'm sure we signed paperwork. I don't remember every detail. I just remember thinking, you know, this, this is what I was hoping I would, my experience would be. So then we, um, then I had the procedure. I think I must have gotten some medication to relax me a little bit. I wasn't asleep, but I, I, it, it was not painful. Um, they were doing evacuations at that point, but afterwards I felt like, I felt like I was going to faint or something. That's probably, that's the worst physical part I had from it. And um, in the post-op area, uh, one of the nurses gave me a ginger ale and I, I felt like she saved my life because I just needed some sugar, and some liquid, I think. But anyway, I remember I, that, that part was scary because I thought, uh oh, something went wrong. I'm going to die. And nobody knows I'm here. Well, one of my best friends knew I was there. So she was the only person. And, and you know, over time, I felt good enough to make my flight home and um i i flew straight home i didn't have to stay in a hotel again but the clinic did a telephone follow-up with me about a week later and then they also sent a survey so they were collecting data you know and, and seeing what their their outcomes were i felt good about that so i wanted to ask you did you Tell the mother why you were asking for 
looking out for this guy and why were you looking for him? Were you looking for support? Yeah, I was uh, looking for support. For, and if support, what kind of support? Economical? Uh, well, you had sex with him, so maybe you felt something for him and you felt that he felt something for you. So what was going, if you can remember, what was going through your mind? I can remember. We In no way were we in a relationship that even felt like we wanted to get married. It wasn't that kind of relationship. I wasn't at that point in my life at 24. Um, I didn't get married till I was 39. <laughs> I, I just put it off and put it off. But anyway, um, I, I just felt like he's the only person that I could really talk to about it because he's the father. So I just felt like maybe it, it would be supportive, he, something like that. But in, when I look back at it, I don't know. He did come back after he was um, finished mountain climbing in Colorado at, after I had had the abortion. And I told him that, that I had done this, I'd gone through this. He was very shocked, didn't have a lot of words to say, but he was just kind of taken aback. And it was that the relationship just felt wrong at that point. And um, he ended up dying about two years later. He was mountain climbing, he fell off a mountain. Yeah, he was a wonderful guy, you know, but I, when I look back, I felt like I was a lot younger than I was. 24 it's it's a new experience you hadn't been pregnant before so the first time being pregnant in whatever situation you're in it's it's a big change it's different it's right right and there is a little bit of panic to it you know is this your first time talking about this situation first time i really said anything publicly about the fact i had an abortion i was standing on the steps of the state house in boston and I was a, a, in a large group of mostly women who were there for a lobby day and we were holding a row, past the row act, row act signs. And the Boston Globe was there. And a reporter came up to me and she said, would you mind being interviewed? And I said, no. And she asked me why I was, how I got interested in you know, abortion rights. And I, and I said, well, you know, personally, I did it for personal reasons. I had an abortion when I was young. And I just gave her a very short clip of what I told you. And the next day, my name was in the paper. <laughs> and you know what, it was very freeing for me. I, um, when I saw my name in the paper, I said, I'm going to have to tell a few people because maybe they'll see my name in the paper. So I called my husband and I are now our second marriage, his, his daughter-in-law and her mother, because they would be the people who would read about abortion in the paper. And they were both just very great about it, you know? And I know that her mother had an abortion. She didn't come right out and say it, but she sort of hinted around I could feel sort of a connection there. 
And I told my daughter, who's 33, I had never told her. And um, I said, you know what, Emma, I it got interviewed and it's in the paper. And I wanted you to hear it from me, not from somebody else who read the paper and said, is that your mother? You know, anyway, my daughter was great about it too. She, you know, she's very supportive. She didn't ask me too many questions. I kind of, in a way, wish she would have, but we'll talk about it again. I see her quite a bit. So anyway, that was when I started talking about it. And then when I was working on the ROW Act, some of the some of my friends at Martha's Vineyard and I talked a lot about among ourselves about our experiences with abortion. So it was that that was kind of a way to get it out. Kind of freeing, I think, or in my experience, yes, being open about things from the past. It leaves at least for me, it leaves a burden. I opened up during Christmas because this Christmas was a very eye-opening experience, at least on my part with my kids. They told me things about their past experience that I was like, wow, really? That happened? Oh, um, I cannot believe it. And, and I came out and told them some other things. And I feel that some burden was lifted up from me. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. When I started talking about it. There's so many people who've had abortions and haven't talked about it. Yes. They could go 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years without saying it out loud. Can you kind of describe, you know, a couple decades went by without talking about it? So sort of two questions. One is when you would read about it in the newspaper or read about it or see it in a movie scene or something, what kind of reaction did you have? Did it feel like, oh yeah, that happened to me or... Do you feel like you just kind of separated yourself from it? I don't think I ever separated myself from it. I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't really always relate very closely if I saw it in a movie or something, but I, I just always felt like this is an important issue. It really needs my support. I, this is what I want to work on. One of the things I really want to work on. I told a couple of my sisters, there's, there's five girls in my family. So I told a couple of sisters that I'm closest to over the years. Um, and I, I told my husband, I told both of my husbands, it just felt like something I wanted to tell them. And you know, when I think about it, right after my abortion, I was depressed. And I, I think I had a lot of mixed emotions. I was relieved because I, I was really um, bound and determined. I was going back to college. I wanted to get um, another degree, which I did. I'm glad I did, but I also felt depressed. So it was kind of a mixture of both of those things. And I think if I would have been able to talk about it out loud, I wouldn't have been as depressed. It wouldn't have been in, I wouldn't have been holding it in, I guess is the word, holding, holding the feelings inside. Yeah. You got on a plane in 1973 to fly to New York. It's not like it would have been easy to get in touch with someone. You didn't have a cell phone. No. You have to literally go to a pay phone. Sounds like you were really on your own. It has to have been, was that really sort of the first big decision that you made all by yourself? Not really in my life, but one of the biggest. 
yes, it was. It was one of the biggest at that and age. Can you shed light on you know why you didn't just tell people? I didn't tell people because people weren't talking about it. It was kind. Of, it was a taboo subject. I think about it as it, it, it's a subject that I think it, there was just shame attached to it, and I think it had to do with religion and culture and and then negative things like women shouldn't not want a child. You know that every woman should want to be a mother all the time. Those kinds of issues. Also, it's kind of a generational thing in my experience i think from my generation back mm -hmm. it's what you say women was ex were expected to be mothers were expected to love their kids mm -hmm. want their kids and have as many as they could right some of us wanted to do that and some of us didn't want to do that exactly but, uh, and up to this date there are some women my age or older that do not want to talk about it there's a shame involved also a re religiosity involved your background if you are from some ethnic percentage and it's not well received the generations from our kids they see it more openly mm -hmm. unfortunately they take all these things for granted but also it gives them the liberty of expression of uh, thinking they they feel like that they can say whatever they need to say and if you were standing in front of Congress right now to say whatever you want about whether Congress should or shouldn't act and pass the Women's Health Protection Act, what would you say? I would say the time is well past due. The specialty of women's health hasn't been recognized is the way I would describe it. When you look at the healthcare system, and the fact that abortion isn't, isn't really considered healthcare, medical students don't learn how to do abortion. Students in primary care don't know how to do abortions. It's not a part of the curriculum. So it's, it's, it's always been unimportant. And there's many women's health issues, but I think abortion is probably the most neglected of all of them. When you think of 30 or 40 years of silence for individuals, and then you think about institutionally the silence that's been there. Yes. It's, it's like it's been erased. Right, right, exactly. We're so grateful that you made time to come and share your experience with us because we're unerasing. Oh, okay, good. We're filling it in. I have to say, I am so pleased with what's happening with the medication abortion. It feels like the way to get away from many of the barriers at the most common point in pregnancy, when you first find out you're pregnant, you can. You don't need permissions. You don't need health. You don't really don't need healthcare providers. I mean, you can have somebody to check with if you're having a problem, but it's very safe, available through the mail. To me, this is like, this is the best thing. This week, we learned that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is going to step down. So just predictions. Do you think President Biden will nominate a Black woman? Absolutely. 
I absolutely do. And I have read uh, in the paper this morning about two of the women that seem to be number one and two or both two number ones on the list. You know, one from uh, a Harvard grad, one a Yale grad, and both have been clerks for Supreme Court justices. It's very exciting. I absolutely, I absolutely think he will. And I hope it happens. It will happen. It will will. happen. He's feeling the big shoes. Yes. He is doing everything he needs to do. It's taking him time because there's a lot of issues, not only because of the previous president, but because of all the previous issues and racism and classism and uh, all the things that are bad in this country. And he is going to finish with flying colors, like they say here in the States. I agree. I think he is, he's done so many good things and he's worked, he's working so hard. And I have to say, I'm amazed. He wasn't my favorite candidate, but I think being the president gives him more energy. He just seems to rise to the occasion. My hesitation is what's going to happen in the Senate. Hopefully it'll happen. Get out there and support candidates. Yep. Yep. Don't sit this round out for these midterms. Thank you for coming on and we would love to have you back. Okay, excellent. Thank you for having me. If you hear this and you would like to share your story, please email us at bostonredcloaks at gmail.com. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 